Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 24th of May, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We're in the chapter, There is a Solution. We are on page 19, and we will be starting with the second paragraph that begins, If We Keep on the Way. In today's readers are 12 Steps, Marge, 12 Traditions, Lisa, and then Sharon, Kim, and Philomena. Our share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 23rd of May, is 4516. 4516. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. Neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no positions on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marge to read the 12 steps. Star one to unmute, Marge. I'm sorry, my phone keeps muting automatically. Good morning, Monica. It's Marge, compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our fears. I pass. Thank you, Marge. I will now ask Lisa to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Lisa from South Jersey, the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater 
who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we will resume our study of the big book. In the chapter, There is a Solution, on page 19, the second paragraph that begins, If We Keep on the Way. And I will ask Sharon to begin reading, please. Good morning, Monica. Thank you. And good morning to all who are on the phone. If we keep on the way we are going, there is little doubt that much good will result. But the surface of the problem will hardly be scratched. Those of us who live in large cities are overcome by the reflection that close by hundreds are dropping into oblivion every day. Many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed. How then shall we present that which has been so freely given us? So here is a very, very exciting paragraph. We've seen early um, in the previous chapter, we talked to Bill talked about the horrors of drinking. And then he talked about the solution. Here's a solution to recover. Part of that solution was working with others. It was required. It, it there is no solution if there is no working with others. In order to recover, using the 12-step method of recovery, perhaps there's some other ways, but the 12-step method of recovery requires us to work with others. It's just part of the program. And then now Bill is giving us an eagle's eye view of what we can expect, not only in our own lives, but in this par- chapter, in this paragraph, he's looking at what's going to happen in our lives together. So the eagle's eye view, now that we've recovered, instead of when we were in the food, when we were out of control, our lives were spiraling down out of control, nothing getting better, everything getting worse, worse and worse and worse, going down, and we were becoming more and more self-centered, more and more only thinking about ourselves. 
now that we've recovered, Bill is saying, we're, spir- we're going up and we're going out. We're going out. We're touching more people. And here he says that the prognosis for our cities, for our states, our countries, is that every day, and we know it it, as food addicts, we know, we see it. We just, just watch television, and they're just pumping food all day long. You look, you walk down the street, and you're always staring at a big back end on somebody. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by people drowning in a sea of food. And every large city, hundreds are dropping into oblivion every day. Oblivion, the darkness, the hell of compulsive overeating. But of course, they're not going to tell you about it to your face, but you can see the misery. And we know it. It says many could recover if they had the opportunity. So we have to be the message everywhere we go, available, ready to share the good news that we have, that recovery is possible. There is a way out that anyone can recover. But first we have to have it. And when we get it, we have to hold on to it for dear life. This is a precious gift. It's worth more than diamonds or gold. And we have to hold on to this treasure because this treasure holds the key of life not only for ourselves but for many, many more. If we don't do it, many will continue to drop into oblivion. And now that we have it, we need to we are we should we are required in order for us to stay recovered we have to continue to give it away and with that I pass thank you Sharon would anyone like to comment on this paragraph this is Paula may I comment you may Paula (laughs) well thank you Monica this would be Paula recovered wow So much has already been said, but boy, I'll tell you, and this is it, more to be said. More to be said. This is it. It says goodwill, that there is little doubt. Oh, no, I can tell you by my life itself. Much good will result, but it isn't just about me. See, that's what I learned here. This where the answer is, but the surface of the problem would hardly be scratched. But can I go to that word reflection? Overcome by the reflection that close by, the reflection is of me. I was one of those. Close by, but not close enough until somebody saw me. And they were where I was. And they brought me to where they were. And that by many could recover. That's it. Many, not one. This isn't a program of adding one. This is multiplying. Many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed. I was given the opportunity of a lifetime to live a life fully and joyfully and then give it away. But it ends with a question that will be answered. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. This is Katie. Good morning, Katie. Go ahead. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. If we keep on the way we're going, there is little doubt that much good will result, but the surface of the problem would hardly be scratched. Yeah, it's overwhelming when I, um, you know, every time you turn on your computer um, or even look at, you know, just all these different pop-ups that come up about, you know, lose belly fat and 
you know, Dr. Oz has some new uh, method out there. And, you know, people are certainly aware that there's an obesity problem in this country, but there seems to be little awareness that the same pro- that the same program that works for alcoholics works for compulsive overeating, and it's you know it's uh, there's been articles that have been written in uh, Minneapolis that you know people have shared with me, and and then you know their meetings might have a surge of of interest. But you know the fact is we're the last house on the block. People come here when they are completely out of um, their own ideas. And, you know, just because someone is heavy doesn't mean they have the mental obsession that I do. They may just need some education on how to eat. And I can't decide that for someone. I can't tell someone, you are like me. Uh, I can share my experience, strength, and hope. I can share what it was like. And I've been amazed when I've done that how many times someone comes up to me who is only a little bit overweight, like I was in my um, teens, where that mental obsession was there already, but it had not manifested very much physically. And so, you know, that's the good news is that I don't have to be the judge of who needs this program and who's going to recover. My job is to share my experience, strength, and hope. And... Yes, we're um, overcome by the reflection that close by hundreds are dropping into oblivion every day. You know, we don't we don't have uh, the same barometer of someone being as someone being drunk on food as uh, when you're a bartender and you know you see the same guy come in every day and you have to call a cab for him because he's incapable of driving himself home. That's a little bit more obvious than uh, than what we have. But it's still, the bottom line is, in order for me to stay in recovery, I have to share my recovery. It's, it is a selfish um, act on my part. It's not, it's not purely just because I have nothing else to do, and so I share my recovery. I share my recovery because that's what we do. That's what we do in order to stay uh, sane and happy ourselves. I, you know, I get great joy out of seeing someone um, handle, you know, not only put down the food, but walk through their life differently than they have for the last, you know, 50 years or however, that they, they are restored. Their lives are restored. It's not about... Um, it's not purely about losing weight and being able to go shopping without being miserable. Um, and so, you know, this is just the beginning. Uh, we're on page 19, and this is before, you know, they're talking about what it was like before they had published this book. Um, you know, that's what the next paragraph is going to talk about. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, I heard a number of people, and I heard, uh, did I hear Margaret? Yes. Uh, a yes, Margaret, morning, Margaret, and then and then I think I heard Leah. Let's go Margaret and Leah, and then I'll pick up whoever I missed. Sorry. Margaret, go Good ahead. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, uh, Vision for You. This Margaret Recovered. Here in South Jersey, many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed. I was just thinking last night, as you know, as our little area of South Jersey begins to grow, and uh, I get an email from Europe and uh, from from all over the world, and I, I think to myself, um, just almost brings tears because of, for people like me who've been in these rooms for many, many years and couldn't f- find sustained recovery. Um, you know, to find that there's a way out to stay out. And, um, you know, to see that, you know, as um, was said this morning by Sharon, where it's going up and out. It's going, you know, and, and we can be a part of it. We can get in this lifeboat and, and do this thing together, which is just um, so wonderful. And then how shall we present 
that which has been so freely given to us. You know, we're being taught here every day, you know, how to do that, that we have to do it, that that's the only way that we can keep it. But uh, we certainly have to have the right message before we can give it away. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Margaret. Leah? Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. If we keep on the way we are going, there is little doubt that much good will result, but the surface of the problem would hardly be scratched. I mean, again, these pages were penned by those who were experienced. They knew they had a good thing going. Uh, People were uh, getting sober and staying sober. It was growing by leaps and bounds. How were they going to get the word out even more? You know, they were they were doing as best they could by word of mouth and direct work with other alcoholics. But how were they going to reach the Eskimos in Alaska? And how were they going to reach, uh, you know, those farmers in the heartland? And how were they going to reach uh, the Texan cowboys? How were they going to reach all these people? Well, you know, Obviously, they decided to put together this volume that we study every day, and, uh, you know, this volume happens to be still around, happens to be that its pages have never been changed or altered, the first 164 pages. So, you know, out on the press, you know, out comes this volume, obviously, to get the word out. They had a couple other ideas that were shot down. You know, they thought of sending missionaries out there. Uh, They thought of hospital chains. (laughs) Um, But uh, it was voted upon that it was going to be this book that we study today, you know, over 70 years later. Um, And, you know, Katie alluded to it, and because I was there to experience, I'll share it. Uh, In Minneapolis, we did... Uh, through the help of one of our members, put together an article in the Star Tribune, and there were a number of people who offered their testimony that they had uh, entered Overeaters Anonymous, that they had cracked open this same text, that they had recovered, that uh, yes, that meant weight loss, but yes, it meant much, much more than weight loss, that their lives had been transformed. And this article, which offered uh, testimony, came out uh, into the public's view. It was in the health section. I believe it was like, you know, around Thanksgiving time or, you know, heading into the New Year's time period when people tend to make those resolutions. And uh, it was cover page of this health section. And let me tell you, that Sunday night meeting got 33 newcomers that night. 33. They were coming in as if we were uh, giving money away. <laughs> you know, um, that was a meeting at the time that was close to, you know, 80 to 100 people. Um, and 33 newcomers crawled in. Um, you know, what a great task that was to attend to those newcomers. Um, the Wednesday night meeting of that same week uh, had almost 20 newcomers. Um, you know, the bait was out there. What was the bait? The bait was that people had recovered. The bait was that something was working for people. Now, I wish I could say that those same people grabbed onto the life preserver and uh, they're, you know, um, they're all uh, transformed, recovered, and, and still amongst uh, members of Overeaters Anonymous. That I can't say. But what I can say is that there is a need. I mean, obesity is what? The greatest uh, cause of of death because of obesity-related illnesses, heart attacks, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, cancer. Uh, it's costing, the, it's, you know, costs the nation, uh, you know, billions and billions of, of dollars a year to attend to all the related issues, medical issues, um, we're not even talking. You and I know what's going on under the roof between the family members. <laughs> but let's just say medical, how it's impacting society. And all you have to do is walk out your door, look to your left, look to your right, and, and you've got people who are in need of this kind of thing. Or unfortunately, go to your local Overeaters Anonymous meeting and look to your left and look to your right. And unfortunately, almost look behind the leader's table. 
and there are people who are in need of uh, this program of recovery. So, you know, how then shall we present that which has been so freely given us? Well, first get recovered and then carry a message. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Star one to unmute. Good morning, Monica. It's Linda in Connecticut. I am recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like to share. Go ahead, Linda. Uh, what a insightful talk I'm hearing this morning. I'm thinking of the little girl across the street. I now own the house that I was raised in, and I was that little girl. She's like a mirror of the kid that I was. And after many years in OA and getting recovery best I could in this area of the country and with the conditions that were in the meetings, um, finally I discovered visions, to be honest with you. First, my sponsor, who is recovered. I had never met anybody who was recovered, never and uh, seeing people on visions, uh, listening to you all, that it was possible, and I jumped in that boat, and I am recovered, and now I can see other people much more clearly with my heart. And these are the silent ones. These are the children. She's only about seven years old. She can't stick up for herself. And her parents don't know. And if I don't recover and create something around me with my sponsor and my sponsee and others, um, what chance does that little kid have? There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little children that are clueless, walking around with parents that are clueless. And that really grabs me by the throat. That gets my attention because I don't want any kid to suffer from this disease. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Linda. Well, this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here, too. Many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed. And then this paragraph ends with this question here, and I'm putting this out to everyone who's recovered out there on this line this morning. How, then, shall we present that which has been so freely given us? You know, we've been given gifts, miracles, and it is part of our responsibility to pass this message on to other suffering compulsive overeaters because there's billions of them out there. And we need to give them some hope and show them there is a way out. And would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Hi, this is Emily Ruth. May I share? I didn't catch your name. Emily Ruth. Emily. Go ahead, Emily. Thank you very much. My name is Emily Ruth. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And, um, I um, I get something very good and out of this, this, this um, reading and also what was just shared. Uh, the thought that came to mind to me was that... Um, I can't give away what I don't have, that idea. But I do have recovery, but today I'm feeling sick. I am kind of recovering from a sinus infection and um, a, I have a pinched nerve in my neck. And I'm a school teacher, and I was debating if I should go to school or not because I always get really scared about calling off. Um, and then the last share about how there are so many children who need need recovery and need love and need, need you know, goodness in the world, um, I want to be able to offer that to them. If I'm in a place where I'm not healthy, I need to care for myself first because the last thing I want to do is go to school today and lash out at second graders because I don't feel well. That doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't serve them. It doesn't serve me. And... Um, you know, I think part of the miracle of this program is is being able to care for myself in a healthy way now. Um, I still feel fear when it comes to, you know, taking a day off of school because I feel like, oh, well, I'd be weak and I, I should be in school and I should and this and that. But the reality is, is I am weak. I am weak and... 
the only thing that gives me strength is my higher power. So if I need that time to re- recuperate with my higher power, then that's what is my higher power's will. And and you know the purpose of this program is to be able to to share a message. So what message am I sharing? Either if I go to school and I'm not feeling well and I'm being an angry, irritable person, or if I am taking a day for self-care but still not with my students, it's, it's a it's a challenging question to ask in regard to what message are my actions sending every minute of every day, not only with people within this program, but people throughout the world, in the world. What message does my actions, my words, my whole being, what message am I sending right now? So with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Emily Ruth. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, would you read, please? Thanks, Monica. We have concluded to publish an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it. We shall bring to the task our combined experience and knowledge. This should suggest a useful program for anyone concerned with a drinking problem. And good morning, my fellows. My name is Ken, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Setting forth the problem as we see it. This is so essential, so essential. Because I thought, and many people think, you know, what is the pro- you know, what is the problem? What makes me a compulsive overeater? Well, I'm fat and I need to lose weight. That makes me a compulsive overeater. That does not make me a compulsive overeater. And this book spends a lot of painstaking time differentiating between the moderate eater, the hard eater, and the compulsive overeater. Because this program is for the compulsive overeater. You know, I had a friend that recently went through a divorce and she put on weight and she was emotionally stressed and she couldn't stop eating. And once the emotion settled down, once she got things settled with the divorce, she simply went back to eating the way she normally does and she was, she's fine now. She's not a compulsive overeater. She is what they, we like to call that emotional eater. You know, if I described to you my 20s with alcohol, you would think, man, that girl needs AA. But a significant thing happens in my late 20s that scared the heck out of me and I've never drank again. I never went to AA. I never worked a step. I was one of those hard drinkers. So we have to know, they set forth the problem as we see it. What is that problem? The problem is I have an allergy of the body. I have an allergy. I have an abnormal reaction. Once I eat certain substances, my body demands, demands that I have more and more. And that will never, ever change. But the larger aspect of my disease is even when I'm not eating, even when I'm not having that allergic reaction, I have a mind. I have a mental twist, I have a mental blank spot that will tell me that eating that food is the only solution for my problem. And we're in the chapter, there is a solution, and we are talking over and over and over about the problem. In fact, in this book, we have big book panels in New Jersey, and every single time a meeting asks for one, they always want to do the chapter, How It Works how it works. Teach me how it works. And on page 60 and how it works, it says being convinced we're at step three. So all the chapters beforehand, 70-something pages, including the doctor's opinion, are steps one and two because we have to know the problem. The doctor's opinion explains this allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. Bill's story is a living, breathing example of that problem. There is a solution. Tell us about the solution, but it spends a lot of time on the problem. More about alcoholism tells us about the insanity of being abstinent only. About when the fact when we get that food down, we're more insane. It's about just being abstinent and the insanity of that. Because, you know, I have many allergies. I'm allergic to penicillin. I had a bad reaction as a child. I was told never have it again. I've never had it again. I don't, I don't have to sit in a room and talk about not having penicillin. I don't even remember what the, what the manifestations of that allergy were, and yet I don't, don't want to have penicillin. 
I know the manifestations of the allergy of the compulsive overeating. I know the consequences. I have lived them over and over and over. And yet I have a mind that tells me this time will be different. You've had a good day. You deserve it. You've had a bad day. You need it. That is the true problem. That is the nature of being a compulsive overeater. That is what they're laying out in this chapter. Because if I don't have the problem, why do I need the solution? I know many of us have watched the, the Oklahoma tornado and seeing those storm shelters and how they saved so many lives. That was a solution to a problem. So in New Jersey, should I build myself a safe house? Should I build myself a storm cellar? No, because I don't have the problem in New Jersey. I don't, we don't get tornadoes in New Jersey, so why would I want the solution of the storm cellar? But if you're in Oklahoma and you live in Tornado Alley, you're going to be compelled now to get a storm cellar after what you saw. So if you have this problem, that is when you're going to be compelled to want the solution. So, there's, so I'm going to read this one once again. We have concluded to publish an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it because that is so essential. If we don't have this problem, why do we care about the solution? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? I'd like to say I'm Nancy. I'm a compulsive overeater cross-addicted. Thank you for your shares. May I share my... Go ahead, Nancy. All right. I'm just... I'm not new to recovery. I've been in and out of the room since the 70s. But it's only now that I'm getting it through a, a step study sponsor, a big book study sponsor. And it's just beautiful what you women and men illuminate each and every morning. I just want to bless you because I it is it is about the solution. The solution for me is working the steps and, and God, first God and foremost. And I just I can't thank you all enough. Thank you. That's all I have to say. Thank you, Nancy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, well, this is Monica, and I'll jump in here. And the runoff, the paragraph starts with the word we. And who is we? We see it in here uh, a couple of different times. We have concluded to publish an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it. We shall bring to the task our combined experience and knowledge. And this we are the first 100 recovered alcoholics. They're recovered. They've had a transformation. They've had the experience here. We're a combined experience and knowledge. Experience. So they've been through the process from the beginning to the end. They know what the outcome is going to be. They have the knowledge. And so they decided to write an anonymous volume setting forth their experience and knowledge that has given them recovery so that others could read this and have hope and follow the solution that they were given. We shall bring to the task, what's task? Work to be done. Our combined experience and knowledge. So they're saying to us here, you've got work to be done, but we can show you how to do it. We can guide you along the path. This should suggest a useful program for anyone concerned with a drinking problem. And I sure am thankful for these first 100 recovered alcoholics who decided to share their experience in recovery with us. And would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? This is Nancy. Can I share? Go ahead, Nancy. Um, I just love what I've been hearing this morning. I, um, you know, it, I have, it, it brings hope when I realize that there is a solution, which is what we've been reading about in this chapter. Um, but I also take pause and I realize that there are so many people suffering out there that 
do not know the solution. But then I think, um, you know, this, this, this should suggest a useful program for anyone concerned with a drinking problem. And it says it should suggest. I mean, I know, and I'm sure many of us out there, we have worked with many people and shared the solution. And it's not that they don't want it. I believe that they all want it. But they, um, for some reason, they can't grasp hold of it. They can't follow through with the instructions that are suggested. And um, it breaks my heart. It really does. And um, in the paragraph before, it said many could recover if they had the opportunity we have enjoyed. And um you know, I think there's a reason that it doesn't say many do recover if they have the opportunity because we, you know, we pass this on to a lot of people who um, at the time don't recover. And I think of myself. I was in and out of the rooms of Overeater, not Overeaters Anonymous many times, and I just, I was hearing the solution. Um, I mean, not to the length, not to the extent that I am now. I don't believe um, where we're taking this big book a couple paragraphs at a time every day. But I was, you know, I was heard the message, and all I could, all I wanted in my head was to be thin. And you know, one time a sponsor told me, she said I was talking about how the program I was working, I was, uh, I was disgruntled with it. I thought it was too rigid. I thought a lot of things about it, but, um, and I had heard about a group of people that were starting a little bit different program with still kind of some of the same structure, just a little less rigidity. And my heart soared. I'm like, oh, oh, you know, maybe that's going to be it. That's going to be the answer. That's because I was always looking for the easier, softer way. I didn't want to follow the instructions in the book. And I don't know why. Because now that I've done the work, I think it wasn't that bad. But um, I think many of us hear the solution, but we just aren't able to apply it to ourselves. And I know when I work with newcomers, we read the book together, and then I have them do some writing to personalize it to their experience. It's one thing to read the words, but we have to be able to take the words and get it in our heart to where we know that's us. And um, anyway, my sponsor one time told me, she said, as long as you believe there's another solution out there, you're going to try it. And I, I just was speechless. I just stopped. I didn't say anything for a minute. I mean, in fact, she said, are you still there? Because I was just dead silent, and I realized she was right. As long as I think there's another way, I won't do the work. And for, and I think, you know, in the days that this book was written, written, you know, they dealt with low-bottom cases only, and I think it's because the high-bottom cases just um, couldn't apply the drastic measures in this book to their per, to their personal experience. And um, I, I thank God for the gift of desperation today because it was a gift that I hit that desperate level. I thought I am not... I. My last relapse, I didn't think I was coming back. I thought, I've done it. I've passed over that line. I'm one of those um, people that talks about, um, and, or oh, what does it talk about, and how it works, you know, constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves and those. I, I just thought I must be in that class. I'm just not going to get it. And thank you, God, for sending me an olive branch and somebody who presented hope to me and then led me to this meeting where I could get into the book of instructions and find the recovery that so many have found. And for that, I'm grateful. I am so grateful. So while we read these paragraphs, I have hope, and it makes me um, happy that there's a solution, and I recognize my job is to pass it on to the still-suffering compulsive reader. Um, but at the same time, it, it, um, it brings me a little bit of sorrow, too, because I know that there's so many who want it but just can't get it. So... Um, anyway, thank you for letting me share, and thank you for all who are on the phone making this a possibility. I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. We have concluded to publish an, an anonymous volume setting forth the problem as we see it. We shall bring to the task our combined experience and knowledge. Obviously, first the experience uh, then the knowledge. I mean, these men and women 
were taken on a spiritual journey and uh, through the through these steps, through the result of these steps, they had recovered. The obsession of the mind had been expelled. I mean, they were just a group of, of nameless people, <laughs> formless, um, and they were groping their way along and hoped uh, this would continue to be the road of freedom for themselves and for others, and indeed it was. And once they became sure that their feet were set on the right track, they decided to publish this volume to tell other alcoholics, guess what? There's great news. You don't have to live that way anymore, which is the same uh, exclamation that we offer every morning on this line to compulsive overeaters. And as this book took form, uh, they described in it the essence of their experience, not the essence of their intellect or their essence of their uh, guesswork or the essence of their hopeful thinking. These people had blazed the trail because their lives were transformed. They were living proof that God had revolutionized their life. And because these were such um, low-bottom drunks, the, the um, witnessing of it and, and the testimony was breathtaking. I mean, it is breathtaking. Absolutely. Um, you know, it is a collective experience that they offer here, the collective voice of what they experienced. And when this came off the press in 1939, uh, at the price tag of $3.50, which was a pretty hefty price tag at that time, um, people just couldn't get enough of it. Essentially, what this book is, uh, was a 12-step call. It was it was written in 1939. Obviously, Bill Wilson and all his cronies wouldn't be able to make one-on-one -on -one visits to the guy in California and the lady uh, Eskimo in Alaska and the one in Maine and Texas. So the big book would have to do the job. It would have to be complete enough because they had learned the value of of carrying the message. They had learned the value of a recovered alcoholic speaking to a still-suffering alcoholic. They had learned the value of that because they were doing that in their own towns and driving elsewhere to carry that message. So they, they, they developed this book. It's a, it is a 12-step call. Bill's story is a 12-step call. The doctor's opinion obviously addresses the allergy of the body. But what it does is it hones in on the identification process. Because if you carefully look at Bill's story, uh, you know, if you're a real alcoholic, it, you identify. You think and feel like Bill thinks and feels. You progress in the illness like Bill progressed in the illness. You start out um, having fun with drinking, and then you suddenly end up in the madness of, of uh, alcohol's realm, and you realize the seriousness. And then, of course, you can flip to the back of the book, and there's story after story with different people's experience, the young, the old, black, white, male, female, uh, this whole tapestry of people coming together and saying, you know what, there is a way out. We have a story here of the exodus from King Alcohol's Mad Realm, and that's exactly what the title page talks about, right? The title page of this book says, The Story of How Many Thousands of Men and Women Have have recovered from alcoholism. So it is uh, their combined experience and knowledge. This was not just some hocus pocus. This was real stuff coming off the press, and boy, people wanted it desperately. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Philomena, would you read that, please? Of necessity, there will have to be a discussion of matters medical, psychiatric, social, and religious. We are aware that these matters are, from their very nature, controversial. Nothing would please us so much as to write a book which would contain no basis for contention or argument. We shall do our utmost to achieve that ideal. Most of us sense that real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and a respect for their opinions or attitudes which makes us more useful to others. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant 
thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Philomena. I'm a um, recovered compulsive overeater. And I'd like to um, just bring us to page 84 where it says on uh, step 10, turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. And tolerance um, means acceptance of beliefs or practices different from our own, open-mindedness, endurance, stamina, capacity endure pain or hardship. And so the first thing, you know, that we have to have is love and tolerance when we uh, are sharing the message and listening to um, uh, sponsees and, uh, you know, other people. Um, because those topics that we're going to be discussing are controversial. And so I am so very grateful that um, that love and tolerance uh, is something that we definitely need, but also we need the clear-cut directions to be able to send the message. We have to find, first have the message and then be able to send it. And uh, this book, uh, there, there's, it's clear-cut directions. It's like a roadmap. And I am just so grateful that um, that I, um, I have been led to this uh, vision for you, and because now uh, I'm able to to bring about the directions, the clear cut directions that were penned in this book. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Philomena. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula Mashia. Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. You know, I'm going to scoot on to the on the bottom of 19. Most of us sense, you know, you just know. You got that intuitive thought, oh, I think that's in the big book too. Most of us sense that real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and a respect and a respect for their opinions, our attitudes, which make us more useful to others. Their the reason they're the reason which bring in not to shut out our very lives oh, wow you talk about useful as ex-problem drinkers who would think who would think that that would be useful here it is depend upon our constant constant not an occasion oh yeah you know let me give them one a call our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. That's what someone did for me. And I want to say there's two reasons, and we see working with others, and I'd like to go to that page 89. One of my favorite pages, practical experience, shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive, not casual here, intensive work with other alcoholics. You know the difference. I try to live the difference. And a major difference there is between staying recovered where I am today. It works when other activities fail. And, oh, those activities, there was a long list of those. Well, I'll set up the chair. I'll call one person a day. That's what I'll do. And I was pretty darn proud of myself. Wait a minute. There it is, pride. This program is a program of humility, not pride. And then it said, this is our 12 suggestion, carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence with others feel. Remember, they are very ill. Don't forget where you were. Reflection. But see, they're seeing the reflection, and they're looking at you. Can that be them? But I'm going to end with the last line, and this is what I hope will always live. To be helpful is our only aim. There it is. You aim well. You aim well. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Penny E. Go ahead, Penny. This is Sharon Masher. Hi, good Penny. morning, everybody. Penny E., recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I just want to um, highlight, look at this word, constant. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant 
thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. It's like what part of constant don't we understand? Constant. Billy uses this word, and I mean, he was bright, articulate. He knew that this was uh, something that was going to be important for all of us. You know, well, I don't know what he knew, but this was important for all of us. He chose those words carefully, and he uses the word constantly quite a few times. He uses it on page 85. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. Um, he uses it again on 86, uh, that we are using it constantly. You know, we shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer better men than we are using it constantly. He uses phrases like in all our affairs. Um, this is constantly our very lives as ex-problem drinkers. Ex-problem drinkers, what do I want to be? Recovered, an ex-problem drinker, an ex-problem eater. So my very life depends on constant thought of others. Our wonderful, wonderful speaker on Sunday said something, I'm paraphrasing, but he said that we have to put as much uh, emphasis, as much importance on this 12th step as we do the first step. You know, it's not just putting down the, the, the food for us. It's not just getting that perfect food plan, you know. It's not just living these principles in all our affairs. It's constant thought of others, constantly. So um, I think we need to take it literally. And, of course, it says in the, in the AA 12 and 12, 6 step, that we don't do these things perfectly. The only thing we can do perfectly is the first step. But this is our goal constant thought of others. Thank you for letting me share. Have a God-filled day, everybody. Love you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone else, I know there was some, someone else, share on this, on this paragraph? This is Nancy. I'd like to share, but I don't know if there was someone before me. Okay. Hello? Was there, some, was there someone else who had uh, said their name before, with Penny earlier? Sharon. This is Sharon. Sharon. Okay, I thought I heard Sharon. Okay, we'll do Sharon and then Nancy. Okay, thank you so much, Monica, and thank you for all of you on the line. And I, too, want to just read that paragraph. Our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. And for someone like myself who just started listening to this um, meeting a year ago, I am just so aware of why I was not able to stay stopped because I have a living problem and my living problem is learning how to do that, learning how to do that. And I can't do that when I'm still in the food and I can't do that with the God of my understanding, God as I understand him in my life today, to practice, practice, practice the principles of this program. And I have to get my own house in order before I can offer that to someone else. So I'm just so grateful to all of you out there on the line who continue uh, to give us that message of hope and recovery. And, um, and then to take the action steps. I have to look, a, look at this as a business, not a game. I have to know that my life does depend on it and the lives of others, too. So um, thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sharon. And time for one more quick share here. Nancy, go ahead. Thank you, Monica and Nancy here. Good morning, everybody. Recovered compulsive breeder in Lewis, and I know. You know, I just, um, I will be quick. Of necessity, there will have to be discussion and then a list the medical, psychiatric, social, and religious, you know. It's, it's interesting because, as it said, those are very controversial, controversial, but I think the message to us is that love and tolerance is our code. It talks about the real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints um, and respect, you know, to those people for their ideas is what makes us more useful. Um, I know a lot of times in meetings I'll hear, you know, people talk about these and then they're shushed and, um, uh, you know, told it's an outside issue and we don't talk about that, and I get that. But I always like to go up to those people after the meeting and say, you know, you need to, I understand, I can hear that you need to talk about that stuff, but the appropriate place to talk about that is with your sponsor. And so, um, you know, again, everybody's been bringing out that last sentence, and that's the one. Our very lives, ours, yours and mine, my life as an ex-problem drinker depends 
upon my constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. So maybe the meeting is not the place to talk about these controversial matters, but there is a place, there is a safe avenue for them to talk about it. And if I can be a listening ear or if I can direct them to somebody on a certain problem that may have more experience, strength, and hope than I do, then I do that. Um, what a gift. My thought when I came in was about me, me, me. What can I get for me? I want to be skinny. I need a diet that's going to work, you know. And now my thought is today, how can I be helpful to the other person? That, my friends, did not happen because of anything I did. That is a transformation that my higher power has worked in me as the result of working these steps. So thank you for this meeting this morning. Um, I hope you all have a very wonderful, abstinent day. Um, With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nancy. And now, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Sally, would you like to read a vision for you, please? Yes, Monica, thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand him. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then, 